So, Neil, I want to take you back to, let's say, 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. Okay. I was at a Halloween party at a friend's house, and we were all just hanging out outside, drinking beer and all that stuff. And this guy, this neighbor that I didn't even know, you know, we started talking, we struck up a conversation, and you'll never guess what he pitched. Was it a Ponzi scheme? Well, I don't know. You tell me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> We're about to get into it. Bring it. Yeah. What, what, what did he pitch you? He told me about this thing called Bitcoin. Oh. And, you know, I, I heard rumbles about Bitcoin because I think it started around in 2009, around that time. But, you know, it just sounded so complicated. And he was explaining it to me. And my mind was blown. And I remember getting in the car, like driving home from the, it was like a little neighborhood party. And I remember telling my wife, I go, this guy tried to sell me on this, like the scam. Oh, and, my. you know, yeah. egg on my face, right? Like I, if I would have invested, yeah. Yeah, you'd be I would like be a Bitcoin billionaire. Wow. <laughs> You're talking to, you said 2010? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was around that. Yeah, yeah. So it was really early on. But yeah, did I miss out? Had, did I miss out on a, on a huge opportunity? I think you did. You would have had hundreds of millions of dollars if you had bought some of that Bitcoin because uh, it would have been like pennies for a Bitcoin then, right? I mean, it would yeah. have been so cheap. But as we'll, we're going to discuss here, there's a big, big question mark into that moment. So uh, yeah, you were pitched. You thought it was a scam. And yeah, is it a scam? I, mean, I don't know. I mean... Is it today a scam? Is it a Ponzi? Is it a pyramid? What is it? It's a great question. What is it, Javier? I don't know. <laughs> Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's talk about it. I'm Neil McTighe. And I'm Javier Leva. And this is the Ponzi Playbook. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Neil, is Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme? That's the question that we're going to ask today. And I want to like pitch to you this uh, analogy that I heard that really resonated with me. Okay. So when we think of a Ponzi scheme, we know that everyone eventually loses, right? Like the house of cards always falls. The question is today, is Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies the same kind of paradigm, right? So like, have you ever heard of a, a euthanasia coaster? Uh, 
<laughs> no, uh, but I'm envisioning this in my head, and I've got Dr. Kevorkian there, and uh, yeah. what is this thing? <laughs> if Dr. Kevorkian had a, a theme park, he would, would have totally, the euthanasia roller coaster. Totally have the euthanasia roller coaster. And so I had never heard of this. It's a roller coaster. It's made out of steel, just like every other roller coaster. Okay. And it holds passengers, but what's the difference here? The euthanasia roller coaster would be the tallest roller coaster in the world, okay? It would go up 456 feet up in the air. And just to compare that, the tallest roller coaster right now, it's about half that, right? Oh, wow. And then it would free fall like straight down, okay? Like just wee all the way down. And then it would go into a loop, a very large okay. loop. And then it would go into a, another loop, but that loop is a little smaller. And then another loop, a little smaller, and another loop, a little smaller. And by the end of that coaster, every passenger is dead. And the reason why everyone is dead is because no one could survive the 10 Gs of force coming at them the entire ride. Oh, my. So so what I'm wondering is, you know, a Ponzi scheme is kind of like a euthanasia roller coaster, right? You go on this crazy high at the beginning, and... The crash is very dramatic, right? And at the end, everyone loses. It's just another way of envisioning these elaborate schemes, right? I think it's perfect. So is it fair, though, to compare a cryptocurrency to a euthanasia coaster? You know what? I actually like it more than a Ponzi because everyone is a very willing participant, right? You sort of say, you know what, I want to get in on this. It is like a a Ponzi without a head. It's like a Ponzi without a con man. It's like everybody's running the con. And, you know, just like the roller coaster, everybody's going to get on the roller coaster. They're going to go on the ride. Now, the question would be, with euthanasia, is you are doing that so you can wrap it up. But with a Ponzi, or at least with Bitcoin or any other type of cryptocurrency, you're hoping that that roller coaster is just a fantastic ride and you fly into riches. So that's where it, the analogy gets a little interesting. And that's where I think this is a gray area and why it's worth discussing on a, an episode. All right, so let's just jump into it. Javier, I don't know if you've been following the news lately, but. The Securities and Exchanges Commission doesn't like cryptocurrency. Well, maybe I should rephrase that. The Securities and Exchanges Commission has made it clear that cryptocurrencies will be regulated by the SEC. We've heard the news, right? Sam Bankman-Fried was indicted. He's now on house arrest. Just recently, Binance was sued by the SEC. And the SEC is basically saying, you guys are going to be regulated and you're going to follow our rules because you are not going to be treated differently. Yeah, you're right. The SEC has made their position pretty clear on this. And Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC, just recently said after the news of Binance and Coinbase and those lawsuits that there is nothing about crypto security markets that suggests that investors and issuers are less deserving of the protections of our security laws. In fact, Justice Thurgood Marshall wrote in the Supreme Court's famous decision, 
that Congress's purpose in enacting the securities laws was to regulate investments in whatever form they are made and whatever name they are called. This is not just a talking point. This is the law of the land. And of course, this is like a quote within a quote. So there you go, Neil. That is the SEC's view on cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I think you're right, Javier. You know, Gary Gensler is clear. Crypto is going to be regulated by the SEC. What he's basically saying is, button up, boys. We're coming after you if you don't play by our rules. And you can try to obfuscate and make it look like it's not a security or this isn't an investment. But that ain't going to fly in the courts because you're selling it like it is. And the public thinks that it is that. And people buy cryptocurrency tokens, which, I mean, come on, what a garbage word that is. They buy cryptocurrencies for what reason? To make money. They don't buy it because it's an easier way to go down to the grocery store and buy things. So Javier, you know, like Binance and Coinbase, they don't agree with Gary Gensler. They claim that crypto is not a security, or if it is a security, it's somehow unique in the realm of securities. So, Neil, this is a fascinating discussion that could go on forever, but this is a Ponzi playbook, right? Is crypto a Ponzi? Answer it once and for all. Okay. I guess I'm going to be the authority on the subject. I am not going to be making any friends in the crypto world today, and I know that. And I hope that those who are crypto defenders understand that this is an opinion, and I welcome debate. And plus, our show, by the way, is not to be taken as financial advice. I mean, you guys make your own decisions. You do the homework and uh, we are just offering our opinions, right? That is right. And we do offer guaranteed returns if you listen to our show. So here's my answer to your question. Fundamentally, it's my belief that cryptocurrencies are empty vessels that produce zero value. So it's kind of like You go down to the country fair and you buy a $1 wooden token and then you turn to the person behind you and say, hey, would you like to buy this $1 token for $1.50? And they say, yes. And then that person then goes, okay, let me sell it to the person behind me. And they keep selling it until they meet somebody who says, oh no, I'm not giving you what you want. I'm going to give you less. And there are no other offers on the table. Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies produce zero value. They're not businesses. They don't do anything. They're just empty vessels. They're wooden tokens at the county fair. Is this the same fair that has the euthanasia roller coaster? I believe it is. (laughs) Dr. Kevorkian at the helm. This is a terrible fair, man. It is. And all the people who are in the line who are buying that token are Ponzi schemers. So it's not, well, they're all individually Ponzi schemers. And what they want to do is they want to pump the hope, pump the dream. They want you to believe in Bitcoin. And we all saw the guys with the Bitcoin laser eyes on Twitter. What were those laser eyes doing? They were infecting you with the virus of belief that Bitcoin was going to go to $5 million a coin. Okay. Step right up, kids. Step right up. Step right Guaranteed up. Guaranteed returns. <laughs> so, but we know that the only way Bitcoin is going to guarantee any returns is if you can guarantee that there's another fool in the line. And not only that there's another fool in the line, that 
everybody's in on building the hype because once the balloon pops, we know that nothing rises and Bitcoin is just an empty vessel once again. And that's why I'm hating on the Bitcoin or at least hating on crypto. Now, there are things I do like, so I want to spin it. I don't want everybody to think, oh my gosh, can't listen to this show anymore. Look at this love- old man, just yeah. can't accept something new, you know? So what what do you like? What do you like about crypto? I, I, by the way, I, I think blockchain is a great technology. I think blockchain, like you said, is a great technology. This idea of a decentralized ledger that isn't dependent on one source to do all of its computations or that's also incorruptible. I think that's really interesting as a technological advancement. I also think that Bitcoin or crypto could just be called what it is, which is a currency. It's just another currency, albeit not a currency controlled by any government or state, a currency that is without a head or without any sort of really firm regulation. It's a currency that's getting a lot of bad rap in the news. I mean, I would be scared to death to invest in in one of these companies because how can you tell the fraudsters from the people who are trying to run a legitimate business? This is a big and complex question. And But there's a whole nother layer to this onion that we should peel back here today, Javier. And that is that crypto has also created these tangential businesses and economies that support crypto. For example, crypto exchanges, and that's, you know, Binance, Coinbase, and these sorts of things. They're the ones who are getting sued. And frankly, the DOJ and the SEC are suing companies left and right for running frauds and Ponzi's and pyramid schemes and whatnot, because they're creating little black boxes on the side of the crypto highway. So when you take your money and you invest in crypto, but it actually goes into, say, Sam Bankman-Fried's black box, at that point, it can fall off the ledger. That is, if the assets can be commingled, assets are fungible, So we really can't trace or track that. And that's when founders and business owners are actually diverting assets that are supposedly under the ownership of the investors or those who bought the tokens. But they're diverting those funds into their own pockets or to pay kickbacks or commissions or to fuel these extravagant lifestyles. At that point, they truly are frauds. They truly are schemes. And there's that great podcast and book, you know, The Missing Crypto Queen. It's fantastic. And The Missing Crypto Queen, she's still missing. We don't know where she is. I just think that crypto has allowed fraudsters to really like amplify the schemes into in a magnitude that we've never seen before. It it gives that opportunity that was never there before, because every time something new is spun up, any new technology or any new thing? This is a breeding ground for fraudsters, right? And shall we get into the case? I mean, shall yeah, we- yeah, Javier, we're going to talk about Forsage, three hundred and forty million dollar crypto Ponzi with a Jane Doe who hasn't been found. Right after the break. 
So Neil, you were talking about this company called Forsage. Yeah, forsaged into giving up your money. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, like, why is this Forsage company involved in a potential Ponzi scheme? Yeah, let's talk about that. Well, we know that around January of 2020, at least by then through August of 2022, there was this website, Forsage.io, which if you have... Is it dot, EO yes. or is it IO? Is that oh, an the, IO? Oh, you know are what? You, are you speaking Italian? Italian. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is an English podcast now. Well, I'm sorry about that then. <laughs> So Forsage.io was a website that facilitated these transactions via what they called smart contracts. And it was created by these founders and they use sort of different types of blockchains. And these blockchains are Ethereum, Tron, and also Binance, which we now know there's an issue there. And this is an international scheme. The founders were Vladimir Akhotnikov, who they call Lado. Lado. There's also this Jane Doe, also known as Lola Ferrari. There was a Mikhail, Mike Sergeev, and a Sergey Maslakov. Okay. So these are the founders of this Forsage. And well, you know what they did, Javier? What's that now? So, Javier, Forsage is a textbook pyramid and Ponzi scheme. It didn't sell any actual products or services to any genuine customers. It just relied on funds received from investors as its source of revenue. And then it took those funds and it paid portions of those funds to prior investors through recruiting efforts. So basically, the only way they really make money is by recruiting other members into the scheme, which basically is a pyramid scheme, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, you start out with the founders, they recruit people, and then they get their cut of whatever money comes in from those whom they recruited and so on and so forth. And the pyramid just keeps getting bigger. But where it becomes a Ponzi scheme is that they're taking the investment money And they're not just a nice, clean pyramid where it's this goes to this party, this goes to this party, we then retain the asset. They're actually, it's a black box again. The money goes into the black box and the founders are just pulling out the money and spending it on themselves. (laughs) And it's like Ponzi City. And then they're taking that money to pay back any investors who want to pull out of the scheme, right? So the Ponzi element and then the pyramid element And it's all because the founders built this very intricate pyramid and Ponzi into the blockchain. Investors had crypto asset wallets, and they purchased what were called slots in Forsage's smart contract. These slots provided the right to earn compensation from recruited downlines, and then they would profit from sharing from this larger community of contributors to the scheme. So Neil, this might be a stupid question, but I want to ask anyways. I thought the whole point of blockchain was to have end-to-end ledgers so that you know where your money's going. So how is it possible that there could be black boxes? Yeah. Let me explain it this way, Javier. 
Binance, Forsage, Coinbase. These are like parasites that are attached to blockchain or at least the public ledger so that when you're driving down the road of blockchain and you know everything is clear, everything is transparent, but then you go off on a website like Forsage.io, things can happen on that website that don't have to get recorded onto the ledger. Yeah, I'll admit, this is very complex stuff, and I'm not an expert. But what I do know is that when the cryptocurrency is flowing down the public ledger and is fully transparent, it can also be taken off into someone's private bank account. And in many cases, for example, with Sam Bankman-Fried, that money could then be put into a sort of holding account. And in that case, we don't necessarily know what's happening to the funds. The thing about Forsage that makes it really complicated is that there's a lot of disclosure on the front end when somebody goes and funds their crypto asset wallet. They know they're purchasing the slot. They know that they have to recruit other investors. So back to that original idea we talked about where everyone's the Ponzi schemer, right? Everyone knows that they're going to get a cut. So they want to recruit. They want to pump the scheme so they can get more and more money from their recruiting efforts. So everybody's in on it. Everybody's a part of the Ponzi. But where it becomes fraud and problematic is that an analysis from the DOJ showed that over 80% of those Forsage investors received less Ethereum, that is the cryptocurrency, than they had invested, with over 50% never receiving any payouts whatsoever. And that's because The founders and also a number of what were called these crypto crusaders who were U.S.-based sort of ambassadors or master pump and dumpers, those folks, what they were doing was diverting investor funds into accounts under their control and then spending those monies. And that was not disclosed to investors. And eventually, their greed got in the way. It ran out of dough and they got caught. Yeah. So now this company, Forsage, is exposed, right? They're being accused of doing this Ponzi scheme, but this isn't an American company, right? That's right. You got defendants here from the Republic of Georgia, from Indonesia, from Russia. I mean, how can the SEC really crack down on this uh, company, Forsage? Yeah, you make a great point. The SEC does file a complaint against those international defendants, including Jane Doe. And we know that they also file a complaint against those U.S.-based promoters, the quote-unquote crypto crusaders, right? (laughs) And that's because Forsage was conducting its business also inside of the United States. There Ah. were U.S. investors. There were these promoters who were based in the U.S. So While from a jurisdiction standpoint, it might pose a problem, they still have an obligation to U.S. taxpayers and U.S. citizens to protect the laws of our country. So in other words, maybe Mikhail and Vladimir won't be able to step foot in the United States without facing any consequences. But those people that were involved in the scheme here in the U.S. have faced charges, right? Yeah, we know that two U.S.-based defendants actually just went ahead and settled the charges, and they were just like, get this out of my life, whereas others haven't. So it's complicated. You know, Jane Doe may never be discovered. She might be in 
Bali having a blast. We don't know. <laughs> well, that's what Ponzi schemers do, Neil. Yeah. And with a name like Jane Doe, you know, you don't have to worry about being found out. So you just hang out and enjoy the fruits of your Ponzi. You know what makes this case really fascinating is that it's actually the first case that involved criminal fraud charges by the DOJ for a DeFi or decentralized finance Ponzi scheme. So it's demonstrating not just the Securities and Exchanges Commission commitment to regulating cryptocurrencies, but it also represents the Department of Justice's position as it relates to its commitment to combating fraud. So that is a pretty clear statement from the DOJ. Well, Neil, that might be the first criminal charges involving a decentralized finance Ponzi scheme, but it definitely won't be the last. And it won't be the last time you hear us talk about it either. Because, you know, while doing research for this episode, we have uncovered so many interesting Ponzi-like schemes involving blockchain or crypto. And it's like a whole new world for the Ponzi playbook, right? It really is. Javier, before we go, I just want to pose one thought to our listeners. Isn't it a red flag that everyone was talking about the idea of mining cryptocurrencies? I mean, what the heck? We're digging for coal in our houses? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, you know, to me, it sounds like a, a carnival trick, you know? It's like the carny trying to lure you in, mine these things. And the whole thing, you know, I have issues with the whole mining thing and its environmental implications and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, to go back to the central question that we asked here, is crypto a Ponzi scheme? I think that's to be determined, right? I mean, I think there are some bad actors here, some parasites in the system that's giving the whole thing a bad name. I think the debate will continue whether we need a new type of currency or whether we just need the technology that crypto is based off of. Well said, Javier. So that's a wrap on this show. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about our next one. because Yeah, what's coming up? What's coming up on the Ponzi playbook? So we're going to just go back to a classic tried and true Ponzi scheme involving U.S. dollars and airplanes and drug traffickers and, well, just about everything under the sun. And international fugitives. Ooh, sounds interesting. I can't wait to hear it. Which, by the way, Neil, have you noticed that we have a huge audience in Australia? I have. Actually, it's bigger than our audience in the U.S., which is mind-blowing because I have two other podcasts. <laughs> and Australia is really showing up for us. So they, they must really like Ponzi schemes. Yeah, we love y'all down under. And we know <laughs> that you want us to talk about that foot that washed up on the shore. Maybe one day. Yeah, well, we'll definitely try to do some sort of Ponzi scheme coming out of Australia because that should be pretty interesting. But if you like what we're doing, follow the Ponzi Playbook on Twitter at the Ponzi Playbook and tweet us, send us a message. Tell us how wrong we got this whole crypto thing. Send us your hate mail. Leave us a review. Just interact with us. It'll be fun. And on that note, whatever you do, don't start a Ponzi scheme. <laughs>